0: Part 1. Chapter 3. Section 31. Of The Life of Jesus Critically Examined by David Friedrich Strauss. Translated by George Eliot. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 1. History of the Birth and Childhood of Jesus. Chapter 3. Announcement of the Conception of Jesus, its Supernatural Character. Visit of Mary to Elizabeth. Section 31. Visit of Mary to Elizabeth. The angel who announced to Mary her own approaching pregnancy at the same time informed her in Luke chapter 1 verse 36 of that of her relative Elizabeth with whom it was already the sixth month Hereupon Mary immediately set out on a journey to her cousin a visit which was attended by extraordinary occurrences for when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary the babe leapt in her womb for joy she also became inspired and in her exaltation poured forth an address to mary as the future mother of the messiah to which mary responded by a hymn of praise in luke chapter 1 verses 39 through 56 the rationalistic interpreter believes it to be an easy matter to give a natural explanation of this narrative of the gospel of luke he is of opinion that the unknown individual who excited such peculiar anticipations in mary had at the same time acquainted her with the similar situation of her cousin elizabeth this it was which impelled mary the more strongly to confer on the subject with her older relative arrived at her cousin's dwelling she first of all made it known what had happened to herself but upon this the narrator is silent not wishing to repeat what he had just before described and here the rationalist not only supposes the address of elizabeth to have been preceded by some communication from mary but imagines mary to have related her history piecemeal so as to allow elizabeth to throw in sentences during the intervals the excitement of elizabeth such is the continuation of the rationalistic explanation communicated itself according to natural laws to the child who as is usual with an embryo of six months made a movement which was first regarded by the mother as significant and as the consequence of the salutation after mary's farther communications just as natural does it appear to the rationalist that mary should have given utterance to her messianic expectations confirmed as they were by elizabeth in a kind of psalmodic recitative composed of reminiscences borrowed from various parts of the old testament but there is much in this explanation which positively contradicts the text in the first place that elizabeth should have learned the heavenly message imparted to mary from mary herself there is no trace in the narrative either of any communication preceding elizabeth's address or of interruptions occasioned by further explanations on the part of mary on the contrary As it is a supernatural revelation which acquaints Mary with the pregnancy of Elizabeth, so also it is to a revelation that Elizabeth's immediate recognition of Mary as the chosen mother of the Messiah is attributed. As little will the other feature of this narrative, that the entrance of the mother of the Messiah occasioned a responsive movement in the mother's womb on the part of his forerunner, bear a natural explanation. In modern times, indeed, even orthodox interpreters have inclined to this explanation, but with the modification that Elizabeth, in the first place, received a revelation, in which, however, the child, owing to the mother's excitement, a matter to be psychologically explained, likewise took part. But the record does not represent the thing as if the excitement of the mother were the determining cause of the movement of the child. On the contrary, verse 41 the emotion of the mother follows the movement of the child and elizabeth's own account states that it was the salutation of mary verse 44 not indeed from its particular signification but merely as the voice of the mother of the messiah which produced the movement of the unborn babe undeniably assuming something supernatural and indeed the supernaturalistic view of this miracle is not free from objection even on its own ground, and hence the anxiety of the above-mentioned modern orthodox interpreters to evade it. It may be possible to conceive the human mind immediately acted upon by the divine mind, to which it is related, but how solve the difficulty of an immediate communication of the divine mind to an unintelligent embryo? And if we inquire the object of so strange a miracle, none which is worthy presents itself. Should it be referred to the necessity that the Baptist should receive the earliest possible intimation of the work to which he was destined? Still, we know not how such an impression could have been made upon an embryo. Should the purpose be supposed to centre in the other individuals, in Mary or Elizabeth, they have been the recipients of far higher revelations, and were consequently already possessed of an adequate measure of insight and faith no fewer difficulties oppose the rationalistic than the supernaturalistic explanation of the hymn pronounced by mary for though it is not like the canticle of zacharias in verse sixty seven and the address of elizabeth in verse forty one introduced by the formula she was filled with the holy ghost still. The similarity of these utterances is so great that the omission cannot be adduced as a proof that the narrator did not intend to represent this, equally with the other two, as the operation of the pneuma, or spirit. But apart from the intention of the narrator, can it be thought natural that two friends visiting one another should, even in the midst of the most extraordinary occurrences, break forth into long hymns? and that their conversation should entirely lose the character of dialogue, the natural form, on such occasions? By a supernatural influence alone could the minds of the two friends be attuned to a state of elevation, so foreign to their everyday life. But if, indeed, Mary's hymn is to be understood as the work of the Holy Spirit, it is surprising that a speech emanating immediately from the divine source of inspiration should not be more striking for its originality, but should be so interlated with reminiscences from the Old Testament, borrowed from the song of praise spoken by the mother of Samuel, in First Samuel chapter 2, under analogous circumstances. Footnote. Compare Luke chapter 1 verse 47 with First Samuel chapter 2 verse 1. Chapter 1 verse 49 with chapter 2 verse 2 chapter 1, verse 51, with chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, chapter 1, verse 52, with chapter 2, verse 8, chapter 1, verse 53, with chapter 2, verse 5. Particularly, Luke chapter 1, verse 48, with First Samuel, chapter 1, verse 11. Compare, Luke chapter 1, verse 50, with Deuteronomy, chapter 7, verse 9. Luke chapter 1, verse 52, with ecclesiasticus chapter ten verse fourteen luke chapter one verse fifty four with psalm ninety eight verse three and footnote accordingly we must admit that the compilation of this hymn consisting of recollections from the old testament was put together in a natural way but allowing its composition to have been perfectly natural it cannot be ascribed to the artless mary but to him who poetically wrought out the tradition in circulation, respecting the scene in question. Since then we find all the principal incidents of this visit inconceivable according to the supernatural interpretation, also that they will not bear a natural explanation. We are led to seek a mythical exposition of this as well as the preceding portions of the gospel history. This path has already been entered upon by others, the view of this narrative given by the anonymous e f in henke's magazine is that it does not portray events as they actually did occur but as they might have occurred that much which the sequel taught of the destiny of their sons was carried back into the speeches of these women which were also enriched by other features gleaned from tradition that a true fact however lies at the bottom namely an actual visit of Mary to Elizabeth, a joyous conversation, and the expression of gratitude to God, all which might have happened solely in virtue of the high importance attached by Orientals to the joys of maternity, even though the two mothers had been at that time ignorant of the destination of their children. This author is of opinion that Mary, when pondering over at a later period the remarkable life of her son, may often have related the happy meeting with her cousin and their mutual expressions of thankfulness to God, and that thus the history gained currency. Horst also, who has a just conception of the fictitious nature of this section in Luke and ably refutes the natural mode of explanation, yet himself slides unawares halfway back into it. He thinks it not improbable that Mary, during her pregnancy, which was in many respects a painful one should have visited her older and more experienced cousin and that elizabeth should during this visit have felt the first movement of her child an occurrence which as it was afterwards regarded as ominous was preserved by the oral tradition these are farther examples of the uncritical proceeding which pretends to disengage the mythical and poetical from the narrative by plucking away a few twigs and blossoms of that growth, whilst it leaves the very root of the mythus undisturbed as purely historical. In our narrative, the principal mythical feature, the remainder forms only its adjuncts, is precisely that which the above-mentioned authors, in their pretended mythical explanations, retain as historical, namely, the visit of Mary to the pregnant Elizabeth, for as we have already seen the main tendency of the first chapter of luke is to magnify jesus by connecting the baptist with him from the earliest possible point in a relation of inferiority now this object could not be better attained than by bringing about a meeting not in the first instance of the sons but of the mothers in reference to their sons during their pregnancy at which meeting some occurrence which should prefigure the future relative positions of these two men should take place now the more apparent the existence of a dogmatical motive as the origin of this visit the less probability is there that it had an historical foundation with this principal feature the other details are connected in the following order the visit of the two women must be represented as possible and probable by the feature of family relationship between mary and elizabeth verse thirty six which would also give a greater suitability to the subsequent connection of the sons further a visit so full of import made precisely at that time must have taken place by special divine appointment therefore it is an angel who refers mary to her cousin at the visit The subservient position of the Baptist to Jesus is to be particularly exhibited. This could have been effected by the mother, as indeed it is, in her address to Mary, but it were better, if possible, that the future Baptist himself should give a sign. The mutual relation of Esau and Jacob had been prefigured by their struggles and position in the mother's womb. From Genesis chapter 25, verse 22 and following. But, without too violent an offence against the laws of probability, an ominous movement would not be attributed to the child prior to that period of her pregnancy at which the motion of the fetus is felt. Hence, the necessity that Elizabeth should be in the sixth month of her pregnancy when Mary, in consequence of this communication of the angel, set out to visit her cousin. From verse thirty-six, Thus, as Schleiermacher remarks, The whole arrangement of times had reference to the particular circumstance the author desired to contrive, the joyous, responsive movement of the child in his mother's womb at the moment of Mary's entrance. To this end only must Mary's visit be delayed till after the fifth month, and the angel not appear to her before that period. Thus, not only does the visit of Mary to Elizabeth, with all the attendant circumstances, disappear from the page of history, but the historical validity of the further details, that John was only half a year older than Jesus, that the two mothers were related, that an intimacy subsisted between the families, cannot be affirmed on the testimony of Luke, unsupported by other authorities. Indeed, the contrary, rather, will be found substantiated in the course of our critical investigations." End of section 31.